Abe here, and I wanted to let you know that if you're able, you can upgrade your small beans skill over at patreon.com slash small beans. Here's why you should do that. If you pledge five measly beans a month, you get access to about half our podcasts that you don't get if you're just listening to the free feed. Shows include Star Trek The Next Futurama, Spielboys, Like Razor Blade Pie, and bonus episodes of I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours. Not to mention bonus content, including info and updates on the movie we're making, Papa Bear. Hey, where's all the reasons to not subscribe to Patreon? I can't find them. Anyway, back to the show. Shawshank Redemption, Shawshank Redemption, this is the tale of Andy Dufresne, and not a Zappa song about cocaine, but the Shawshank Redemption we review today would make you cry a million times. Like when he almost gives a blown jay, Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) That's life in prison. Frank Zappa doesn't get enough love. Do you know that song, Cocaine Decisions? I think actually as you sang it, it became more familiar. Because I'm familiar with Zappa in the way that like you played Zappa. when we Probably a song I've played before while we we hung out. We've taken our share of like trips together, you Mm -hmm. know? We've been in trips. We've listened to each other's playlists and whatnot. Yeah. It's back in the day. And you definitely had a lot of Zappa time. And that feels like a, what's the name of that one? That feels Cocaine Decisions. Cocaine Decisions. And it's about, in fact, one of Zappa's main things is, even though he was a weirdo freak, it was all organic, baby. He just was a weirdo freak. He took no Mm -hmm. drugs and was super straight edge. And in fact, he thought drugs made you stupid and like dummies took drugs. So that's one of his many songs about how uh, in the 80s, everyone he knew was super into cocaine. And he thought it was fucking stupid. He does a lot of songs about how drugs are stupid to him. Of course, you'd have that thought, you weird owl loving motherfucker. Yeah. You, you always love the weirdos. And you know what? I'm all about supporting the weirdos. That's why I love you, baby. And that brings us to support the weirdos. Support <laughs> the weirdos. slash small beans. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it's, uh, it's another episode of Cock! Kings of King. There's one of your lieges. Abe Epperson, I'm one of your lieges, Michael Swaim, and we cover the adapted works of Stephen King. The things you watch, not the things you read, because that's just slow watching, and we don't do that. No, uh, we're fast. Yeah. We got to go fast. And hey, I bet this is one of the most hotly anticipated ones. It's got to be, right? Outside uh, of Maximum Overdrive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Duh. No, yeah, I think this is a, um, I mean, this was a critic, this was a flop, but then it, Wait, Shawshank Red- that really does blow my mind. Truly? A, yeah, prison movies don't move the needle, brother. Uh, but it's And a, Frank Darabont was yeah. an unknown. Mor- Fr- uh, Morgan Freeman wasn't as known as, like, This is, is his known. whole trope now, is just the thing, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. The scene at the end of this movie 
is basically the rest of Morgan Freeman's career is off of the vibe we all felt when we heard him talk about Zihuatanejo. Yeah. I mean, it's like what you do when you imitate Morgan Freeman now. He just had a series of bangers in the 90s. It all though. involves soulful voiceover. You know, and, you know, a white counterpart, Brad Pitt, you know, yeah. uh, Kevin Costner, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. But, you know, like it's, uh, he, this is one, this is for everyone involved in this movie. This is on top of their pantheon, right? This is mm-hmm. some of their best shit. Everyone's kicking kicking ass in this would you consider a sink faucet a white counterpart a sink faucet a silver (laughs) counterpart oh yours is silver it only scans if you have my exact kitchen that i'm looking at anyway uh this isn't what we do this isn't what we do we talk about (laughs) 1994's so set your mind on that time shawshank Mm -hmm. redemption and uh we do in an organized fashion and i think we will start with some of the drier like uh, well, I guess we'll do the run through first, but then we'll talk more about Frank Darabont. Um, I always forget the synopsis cause I always, I just, I watched it just now, so I don't need the synopsis, but maybe you do in a segment we call under the dome. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? It all starts with Timmy Robbins, baby. Well, it all starts with If I Didn't Care by the Ink Spots as we slowly pull out of a shot of a radio, which I will just point out is Fallout. And I like that. That's, yeah, okay. Okay. I don't think they were thinking that when they shot that. But then that, you get Tim Robbins, it. maybe yep. to me, the greatest white male lead actor of this era. And Dufresne. He's my Tom Hanks. Like, I love him so much. You're a big Tim Robbins Tim yeah. Robbins. Oh my you God. Zappa, that sucker. Oh Tim Robbins. I'm a Sega kid. It all comes down to if you were raised Nintendo or Sega. Seriously. I like Pepsi more than Coke. It's all only because of Sega. I mean, I love it. It grooms you to be an alpha or a beta. I love it because I was raised to be like the the archetypal basic bitch. So here we are. You're sucking down Coke playing your Mario Brothers. Andy Dufresne is distraught and drinking in his car. (laughs) He's going. He's got a gun in his hand. It cuts between his court case And the night uh, of the murders play out. His wife has been cheating on him. And apparently they were both shot. The lovers were shot with his gun, even though they didn't find the gun. We don't see the murder in the play-by-play. So it's a classic case of uh, he said they can't say. And he gets two life sentences. Did I miss anything? Uh, Yeah, only that... Basically, his arc and the judge calls it out explicitly is his so, problem is he strikes everyone as a cold, uncaring man. He's like Vulcan like. It's just his manner. He is very yeah. low emotion He's like, guy. It chills me to look at you. You're like an icicle to my heart and therefore yeah. legal action. Also want to point out it's the same setup as Dolores Claiborne, which is the last episode we covered. Well, so, OK, you know. so while we're on it. People love to shout out because we don't read the books. You're welcome. Welcome to our level, lowest common denominators, which we call fans of this podcast. Mm. Now, um, people love to call out and you know what? They're helpful. It's good info that the Dolores Dolores Claiborne eclipse handjob fairy scene being exactly the same as the other movie I already forget, handjob fairy scene eclipse is- uh, Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game, thank you, is- intentional and those books are connected in that way 
And there's even a scene in the book where they see each other through a reflection, like Dolores Claiborne sees Gerald Lady. And uh, I wondered if there was that with this, with Green Mile, with the pissing, with the pissing, Abe, because they have long pissing scenes. And I could imagine going through the piss stream and then you're in Tom Hanks's piss stream, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's branches of piss. It's of like piss jail. seven. It's uh, this is King's piss jail. It's the series Kevin Bacon is what game, right? It's seven yeah. degrees of piss. And without reading the books, I'm going to assume that's baked into the books. This is Piss Jail Saga, part one. <laughs> uh, I am ruining this episode. So, anyway, I love it. We're getting the whole process of going to prison, right? And it's scurry. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, also Sloan from section 31 is there and you get, <laughs> that's a deep cut. Yeah. William Sadler, William Sadler is there William Sadler, along with the aforementioned Morgan Freeman, who plays a guy called red. And he starts giving us narration about how, when the new guys get sent to prison, as we see Andy Dufresne is getting marched in, they all bet cigarettes on who's going to crack that night, right? Who's going to become a blubbering mess. And, uh, they sort of fish for him. And they're called new fish and they fish for him by, you know, at the night, they all sort of act basically like we're going to rape you. Is there, they all wield a blunt yeah. instrument, which is yeah. you're going to get raped in here. And, uh, one guy starts crying and I believe it's William Sadler's guy. That's right. Uh, he's credited as fat ass, um, in the screenplay, uh, that guy breaks and wins William Sadler, a bunch of cigarettes. But the important thing for red to note is that he really thought Tim Robbins would break because he was a some big shot white collar banker who did a crime of passion and now he's here. He's not cut out for prison. He's going to get eaten alive. And he didn't mm-hmm. make a sound. So he yeah. just like uses his icy powers to skate through how horrible prison is. Yeah. And I only thing I want to add is that uh, the aforementioned fat ass uh, who, you know, squawks in his jail cell, uh, he, he, basically the causes the guards to summon. And that's where we meet Clancy Brown, who's cruel and violent and very much a typical portrayal of that. We've seen before from the green mile. And just in terms of like cops in general, something that King does, he's like, they're usually out for blood. Uh, And he beats the shit out of the man who, you know, obviously broke. We Uh, actually meet all the devils real quick. I kind of glossed mm -hmm. over, but the warden comes out and he's, you know, He's the fist, he's the hand inside the glove of Hadley. Um, You know, he acts uh, like civilized and talks about redemption and God. Mm -hmm. But when someone needs beating, he just looks at Hadley and Hadley beats the shit out of them. So you get that relationship sort of established. And then you also get the, uh, we'll talk about it in it. I guess I'll save my issues for it. But we get. Um, a James Conn looking motherfucker who becomes Andy's <laughs> rapist who leads uh, this group called the Sisters, um, who basically rape people for dominance in the prison and have targeted him immediately. So we know, oh, well, that's going to be a problem. Um, <laughs> it's just that air is in the air. Um, and then it takes a month for Red to says, like, I took no special interest in him until a month later when he finally talked to me. It's the first time as far as he knows that he spoke in the prison, like since he's entered the prison and Mm -hmm. they have a quick chat. He says, what are you in for? And he says, I'm innocent actually. And he goes, well, everyone here says they're innocent. And he goes, okay. Like he doesn't, that's fine. I accept that. Can you get me a rock hammer? And he goes like, I don't smuggle. I am the guy that smuggles shit, but I don't smuggle weapons into the prison. And, uh, 
he goes, it's not a weapon. And he goes, well, I, or escape shit. And he's like, you can't escape with it. It can't. You couldn't dig through a wall with it. And he explains how small it is. And it's this tiny little pickaxe. And he goes, okay, you're right. No one could ever dig through a wall with that good setup. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and says he'll order it for him. It'll take him weeks or whatever. And he goes, you know, look out for those sisters. And he goes, you know, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's gonna, that's not going to be good. I don't know what to do about it. I'll figure it out. Uh, and I think he charges him 10 bucks and says, I'll get you the thing. What's after right. that? Uh, we get a nice little montage of kind of the friendly inmates. I mean, you you mentioned William Sadler. Oh, right. The last thing. Uh, but, but you also get, I love this little bit that they do with Brooks because we meet. He At first, he's this old man playing by uh, James Whitmore who asks for a maggot that's in Andy's food. Great image, because it's like, does double duty. It's a part of the scene, but it's also like, the food has maggots in it. Yeah. So, but it's a fake out. He's not a crazy man. He's not crazy. He's just got a little bird in his pocket. Well, he is crazy, but differently later. A sad kind of crazy. Yeah. So (laughs) from jump, we're like, as we're doing with the, you know, guards, we're on the other side, humanizing the inmates. They're not really criminals, we feel like. We don't really talk about what they've done which is something that I think is interesting about this movie. In fact, we learned that the man who Clancy Brown beat actually died. And it's like, oh, so violence and that can just happen. It happened on day one. So And they uh, kind of feel guilty, clearly, about betting on it, but then are in denial about that. It's interesting because it's at least one shade nuanced of a reaction. Mm-hmm. William Sadler almost overcorrects. Like, who gives a shit what his name is? He's fucking dead. Let's all just eat. Everybody right. shut the fuck up now. And we get, um, we kind of get an intro into the operation that Red runs, which is kind of through the laundry. That's where he gets like the cigarettes and the rock hammers and whatnot. And Brooks is the librarian. Uh, and about 30 minutes into the movie, we get the attack of the sisters. So this is where Andy works is in the laundry space. So they all are kind of congregated there. And if there's like an after hours situation, which I don't know how true that is to prisons, but I don't know anything much about prisons. But like, as you mentioned, they're the kind of rape gang um, led by Mark Rolston and narration kind of tells us that this goes on for two years um, until we kind of get our. Sometimes he fights them off and sometimes not. So he gets raped regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we get this first big beat, which kind of starts our like Messiah story. Which is that the roof detail kind of starts. They need Messiah. to. I, know, I didn't need, think of it in those terms, but sure. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Uh, we need Freedom to, we need to uh, like fix this roof. Uh, so Red has bribed the guards because it's, a, it's an outside detail and that's fucking great. So all of his friends, including Andy, kind of get involved in this roof detail takes them out of uh the sister's reach a little bit so it's like kind of like everyone's kind of helping each other even if they're doing it for their own self he's just taking an interest in andy because he's quiet and weird yeah yeah exactly and this is where andy overhears the guards kind of griping mainly clancy brown about his tax problems and at great risk to himself (laughs) and it must uh, be said says a very memed much memed line You'd look a lot funnier sucking my dick with no teeth. <laughs> it's just some good foul line. shit right some there. Fa- yeah, he, great he has line. great lines in this. Yeah, Clancy Brown is so good at this. Um, and he kind of offers help. Uh, and he, uh, Andy expertly uses flattery to kind of eventually broker this deal that he's like, I'll do this for you. I'll fix this for you. 
uh, just get some beers for me and my buddy whenever we do the detail. How about that? And that's how the prison system works. Quid no, pro quo, you know? And, and I love this line because it's like, it's kind of paraphrased, but it's like, and that's how it came to pass. <laughs> you know, Andy Dufresne got us these beers. We felt like free men. We were lords of all creation. Felt like Morgan. Right. Uh, and I think so he I did just, it just to feel normal again, if only for a short while. Got I me. I that. cried. That one's great. That one's like the heart of the movie. That was right my there. first cry. That, that's the beginning because it reads like both things, both lines kind of read like scripture, right? Like well, basically this yeah. is the scene where he's, he's making wine for the disciples. I think that's true. And I also, for me, it resonates beyond, it makes you meditate on just how much it sucks to be in prison generally and all the people in prison and it becomes yeah, very sure. a sad moment. Yeah. Um, what else? During they, movie nights, yeah, movie they watch night, Rita Hayworth. And he asks for a pinup poster. And then I think notably and somewhat cleverly, but I don't hear it mentioned much, he gets a bunch of posters. So he becomes like a poster guy who has a lot of stuff on his walls in the prison to sort of distract, I think, in retrospect. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he asks for one poster and he says it's going to take a few weeks because, you know, you're not supposed to have a big pinup girl poster in prison. Um and then he gets followed by the sisters who want to assault Andy in the projection booth. This time he fights him off with a film reel. And then by saying, basically, if you make me suck your dick, I will bite your dick off. And so they go, then we'll just beat you to death. How about that? Now, right. are you clever, banker boy? And uh, the lead antagonist, whose name's Boggs, I don't know if we mentioned, gets a week in the hole. And I got to say, love the chilling performance from Ralston on just the shot because it's all established with just one shot where an off-screen voice goes time's up Boggs like your week is done and he yeah. scoffs as if to say that was so easy was like easy. that didn't yeah. affect me at all and he goes it's your world boss and it is because they have him fucking destroyed um Hadley just beats Boggs like as if to say with each truncheon blow stop fucking raping people and like yeah. beats him until he can't walk anymore. And he blubbers and screams and begs for mercy. And it's really graphic. And, uh, he gets so injured that he's sent to some minimum security place elsewhere to drink through a straw for the rest of his life, which is yep. good. I guess. I don't know. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It, I mean, at least Andy is no longer is threatened. Out. Yeah. This is the system of justice now. And I want to kind of point out that, the motivation for the attack is entirely you can't he's he Andy Dufresne is a made man you know like now, he, you yeah. can't touch him because we like him he does our taxes and that and so Andy Dufresne is already within two plus years of moving in the prison has gotten on the guards good side and in his like you mentioned the room search of Andy's cell where we kind of more get meet the warden Andy realizes that the key to his heart is the Bible, and he lobs some scripture at him. Again, he's currying favor. So this is probably something that is also coming from the warden. Like, we can't have that guy, dude doing that shit. Um, and I love how Andy Dufresne in that scene explains away the rock hammer. He's like, I, I make chess pieces. And I think that's actually where it probably started. But then he, uh, it's just a hobby he has. And the warden kind of gives him a pass, like you mentioned on the Rita poster. Um, but he wants to he wants him to help do the prison books. So he now works alongside 
not you know he works alongside the warden. He's working alongside Brooks in the library. His cover he's is that he works the in the library, but he's yeah, really doing so, the warden's books because the warden realized he knows tax loopholes, and he basically starts using him to commit tax fraud. And Andy very intelligently is like, that's good for me to be involved in that. I have leverage over him now. Yeah. So I think it's just important to note that like the warden is the one who's like, he can't, you can't touch him now. No one can touch him. He is, he is safe from everything. And I think that that is that kind of vindication from the false kind of society that is the prison, the kind of corrupt society that it is. He's playing their game, right? Yes. And at first his only goal in playing it, it seems is to use it like I'm in prison and I'm smart or good with numbers at least. I may as well make prison life more bearable for everyone. So he's basically trying to get grants and funds for prison programs. So it starts by writing a letter every week to the state to set up, uh, you know, to get more books for the library. But at the same time, it's intercut with now he's doing all the guards taxes every year and getting yep. them good deductions and shit. But also he's trying to get a pool table for the rec room and there's going to be chocolate milk and all the drinking fountains, you know, and he's hiring he's like all of his friends cool. during tax season when they needed more people, you know, yeah. like, so it's like, he's helping everyone. He's rising, he's raising the camp up and he's becoming a, a pillar of the community, so to speak. Orange is the new black would not exist without this show, this movie for, for sure. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't know what vibe or I don't know. It's the same vibe. Um, or Altman like above stairs, downstairs kind of shit too. Anyway. I digress. Brooks suddenly flips out and puts a knife to Haywood Jablomi's throat um, because he's getting released and he doesn't want to be. And this is where we get a little vignette about institutionalization, which, as will often happen, Red explains as we see postcards of it happening, sort of in a narrative postcard. Like that's what makes this movie pound for pound. That's what makes this movie really feel like, oh, this is a great movie. Because it's very choice narration over the thing expertly shown in pieces. Um, that's yeah. really that when that's when I think people in the movie theaters go off. Oh. And I have more about that in it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, this one just sort of establishes that after you've been in prison for 55 years, you don't know what to do. And he doesn't know what to do with himself. And he ends up hanging himself. And yeah. they, he, they get his letter in jail. They're very sad about that. Jake, the bird that he raised, flies away. And it's like. I wonder if that was a symbol, man. And by then, the way, I, yeah. <laughs> I read on the Wikipedia that Brooks is in prison for allegedly murdering his wife and daughter. Uh, Ooh, and daughter makes the... it really, geez. <laughs> the way you look at him, because yeah. it's James, old ass James Whitmore, yeah. you like this beautiful we all young man ones. who can't hurt a fly. It's like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But also, he did kill a little girl. That's pretty fucked up. But, but you so know, then, that's the whole point. It's the redemption yeah. story. Then Andy does take over the library fully. It gets funded. He starts writing even more letters, even though they're just wrote it. You know, they obviously funded him to mm-hmm. shut him up. But guess what? Um, he's the most diligent motherfucker you ever met. That's his whole thing is his diligence and consistency. Uh, one of the prisoners is the guy from Sopranos that the sister shoots to death. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he gets right. one or two lines. Um, where am I? Oh, everyone in the yard. Oh, it's the musical interlude. Yeah. So then he's so trusted that a guard leaves him alone in the warden's office while he goes to take a shit. And Andy takes advantage of this opportunity to play an opera record really loud through the PA and lock the guy out of the office. Yeah. 
yet again to deliver a moment of transcendent beauty or temporary freedom, if you will, to the men, to the people in the prison. And of course, this pisses them off. Clancy is standing there like, put me in, coach. And when he finally mm-hmm. yeah. uh, turns like, the volume up, he goes, now you get me, son. Now you get me. And he runs yep. in, so excited to beat the shit out of someone. Amazing. Yeah. By the way, the what he plays over the, it's the marriage of Figaro, which is about servants, uh, ha- like, get rising in their station, getting married. Two uh-huh. servants are allowed to marry. Um, so it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's about the second class. Yeah. And then Andy spends two weeks in the hole for this. And then he explains in the cafeteria why it was worth it to him. And I did think this was the sweatiest part of all. He explains Mm. what hope is in a monologue. And they almost act as if they don't understand what hope is. Right. But we are like, it's fine. He ends up saying, it's a place inside that they can't take away from you. You're like, motherfucker, you don't know what hope is. Like, you're not familiar with it. (laughs) You're not guardian of hope. Uh, It's like, the thing is, it's that like, it totally works this trick on us. And it's awesome. Because we have heard the poetry of his narration and we're used to it and it's Morgan Freeman saying it so that when you jump into the precipice of like this is diegetic, this is now in a scene as opposed to this is narration, it feels like it's like, yeah, no problem. He always talks like this. Right. It is weird to think like if you're at in a cafeteria and a guy just lobs this at you, you're like fucking thought he was my friend, but I'm not sure he's (laughs) my friend anymore. The two weeks in the hole was worth it. Because of intangible qualities of things I value mentally. Oh, great. Thanks. Like, hey. it's like, how dumb do you think I am? Um, but it's a good moment if you just take it at face value. Uh, Red sort of takes the opposite opinion, which is hope is poison. Hope is bad. It's fearful. It never works out. And we know this because we've seen him be a man who's worthy of redemption and worthy of a second chance and get his mm. parole denied 30 years in a row. Right. Right. And also they do another beat of that. I also, well, I just love the hard turn in that conversation was like, by the way, I used to play harmonica as a kid. Uh, He's like, oh, okay. And it's like immediately, like two scenes later, pay it off with Andy. Buy some harmonica. Buy some harmonica. And it's just like. And what I love is he goes, you going to play that? And he goes, no. And he's nah. like, all right, great. Fuck me then. I cool. had a, I guess I had an idea and I misread the situation. I, I misread that. Yeah. He's like too depressed yeah. too. And um, I want to also mention this is because this is a little red run, uh, yeah. <laughs> red rum. Uh, and like, this is the second time we get, a, we get the second scene, which we kind of skip by, but it's at the top of the movie, which is we get these three parole rejections or two per, parole yeah. rejections for red. Um, and we'll talk about that on the third beat, I think, but that's where this happens. So, um, so, after more yeah. letters Go from ahead. the government, they spend, they send even more money after even like a longer time. It's been six the years. The library is pimped like out now. Yeah. It's the best prison it's got library. Records. They can listen to ever. records whenever they want. Yeah. And we, uh, we also see, and I think this is important. Well, I mean, it's important to the plot too, a little bit, but we see the beginning of like slave labor in prison systems in this era. With programs like the outreach program of the Reese's, warden, where he's like, yeah, yeah. Why can't he's, they work outside the prison? And why can't the taxpayer pay us? And we can underbid everyone because they're prisoners. They ex- get no wages. Now, this is still a problem, and it is essentially 
like how we perpetuate slavery. We just do it to criminals now instead of explicitly people of color. And guess who's overrepresented in prisons? People of color. So, and it's the scam. I mean, he also takes money on the side. Yeah. But it's like, to me, it's fairly prescient in 1994 to be like, for-profit prison uh, scam is the is the indicative is, thing he's part of is a yeah good this offer. guy is a piece of yeah, shit like yeah. he, it may not be the crime he went down for but it's definitely the crime that started it and it's the kind of shit that he does so it's like yeah that's and he literally we're starts, displaying that right he starts acting consumer. like the lawyers in the simpsons or the lobbyists that lisa simpson sees in washington <laughs> he's like Opening briefcases full of money and going like, I think we can see that your way, Senator, and shit like that. So yeah, it's he's yeah, fully he, corrupt now. And I love this. This is a little visual game that I'm sure was Roger Deakins's <coughs> bag, which is that all these bribes, all this intimate knowledge that Andy now has because he's cooking the books, all these dealings are put in a paper trail that essentially in a safe behind a quote from the Bible. Just think about how what well, a postcard and the quote for like illicit acts and the quote is like you will be judged soon <laughs> like yeah so his judgment cometh and that right hu- soon as much hubris as you could put in a single yeah, shot like yeah. you will get fucked if you fuck around basically and that's where he and put his thing that if anyone sees it he's fucked <laughs> so it's just like loudly pronouncing the hypocrisy of false believers and we'll see Andy's Andy's gonna go ham on this temple yeah. he's just gonna go ham on it. So um, he invents a fake guy named Randall Stevens who shields them from all their tax problems as a shock absorber. And he is basically the wardens in his pocket. Um, then they introduce something that's going to come and upset the balance, which is a Brian Setzer type guy <laughs> named Tommy. Uh, Mr. Rock and Roll. <laughs> he's a rock and roll hillbilly greaser. Uh, he's a good old boy. And uh, he wants to earn his GED. He's like trying to better himself. And he's the other thing is he just does dumb shit and ends up in prison and steals TVs and shit. So he's been in every prison across the country and he ends up having shared a bunk with Elmo Blatch, which is just a (laughs) disgusting name. How are you not going to grow up a murderer? You're named Elmo Blatch. Yeah, you're going to get you're just going to get beat up every day and also do beatings. Hey, your whole life is violence. <laughs> so this guy laughs like the Joker and brags to Tommy in a flashback about how he kills anyone who gives him shit. And there was this couple who gave him shit and he killed both of them. And then he heard some banker went down for it and he finds that very, very funny. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's our boy's story and he wants to act on that. So he goes to the warden who he thinks he has good relations with. And I think the warden at this point, you see it start to brew. The warden is like, I need to put this person back in their place. They, they don't think they're a prisoner anymore. They think they're my associate. And that is a danger to me, right? Because right. The, pri- the warden knows there's a paper trail, but his whole power over Andy is like, he can't hurt me. He's under my control. So he sort you're of not, has to reassert subhuman. his control. Right. Yeah. Um, so it all comes to a head when Andy says like, you got to give me a new trial. And he goes, no, I don't in so many words. And he's like, how can you be so obtuse? Are you being willfully obtuse? And he goes like, you're calling me obtuse? You're one of the prisoners in my prison? You called me obtuse? What did you just fucking say yeah. to me? So, and then, ooh, the worst thing he could have said, truly. Tim Robbins goes, because he jumps a step ahead and you're, it's so embarrassing, you, right? You know he's fucked when he says, and I would never tell anyone about the laundered money. That's not what this is about. And the warden goes, never mention money to me. It gives him a month in the hole, has him beaten, whatever, right? And then I think at the end of the whole 
month, he says, give him another month to think about it. It's some like ungodly amount of time. In yeah, the it's time means nothing. Just in to this break it. Null space. Yeah. But we truly see like the Leviathan smile kind of thing happen where the Warren summons while he's in the while uh, Tim Robbins is in the hole. Uh, the warden summons Tommy, his you know his new project, the good old boy, to the outskirts of the prison, where he uh, sets it up to look like Tommy tried to attempt escape and just has him shot, so that the warden is like, basically oh. saying like he so now he can't now he can't go in front of a jury. I have control of Andy, and we I have not up to this, this point place. thought, wow, okay, so he'll even just do a murder. Okay, this yeah, is no, a he'll new just do a echelon. Yeah, yeah, and Hadley does it, which it's funny because Hadley says stuff like. How you doing, butt steak? And you're like, I want to like this guy. But, uh, right. <laughs> but he does snipe a guy in cold blood. So I yeah. guess Hadley's not great. Um, no. Let's see. Great. He gets out. Red comforts him. Uh, he sort of has a breakdown and tells him about his life really for the first time. And says, you know, I really am innocent. And which is the other prisoners find out and they're like, dang, in retrospect, his life sucks. <laughs> this, like, yeah. They all feel bad when they find out because they're not really innocent. But he truly, true. they're like, word, you really are? Wow. Um, <laughs> she, he says, yeah, my wife said I was hard to know like a closed book. I loved her. I just didn't show it. Uh, you know, I'm just like, I'm the Iceman informer. You know, my name's Snow and I'm mm -hmm. a player. Uh, and, it, and they talk about the nature of luck. And stuff like that. Uh, and then he, he also mentions yeah, the field it. in Buxton. Yep. Where he's like, there was a time I fucked my wife. No, just listen to me. Stick with the <laughs> yeah. story, Red. Uh, there's an old oak tree where I fucked my wife. And Red's like, and I'm uh, listening. Fap, 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 fap. <laughs> and he's like, there's a hidden treasure there for Red once he gets out. Because Andy, we don't know. It's all happening off he's screen. He's Has already Lizanne. had schemes and plans. As right. That's all he's done since the beginning. He's had projects. And, you know, so this Andy's friends think this is all a sign of Andy trying to hang himself like Brooks. Turns out he's breaking out, baby. And, you know, the yeah, sequence. But you've seen the good misdirects. He even uh, takes six feet of rope from Haywood. And it's, of course, yeah. to help him, like, climb through the tunnel or whatever the fuck. But right. um, I have to point out that Red, I never noticed this before. And I'm glad I didn't because it's kind of dumb. Red says... You can't escape, Andy. It's just shitty pipe dreams. Shitty pipe oh, dreams. Oh, man. That does sound like a King thing. Yeah. Like, that's like Frank Darabont. That's like, pretty sweaty foreshadowing. But yeah. basically, he's used his rock hammer to blah, 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 blah. I'm going to just, everyone knows it. But in an Ocean's Eleven-esque sort of situation, we have Red yeah, sort of right. say what happened because they wake up the next morning and he's gone. But as he says what happened, we see the whole process in retrospect. He's been digging through the wall this entire time. It's taken 20 years. He uh, was dropping the excess rock in the yard secretly through his pants leg. And so there was a bigger and bigger hole behind the poster. He dug all the way to the sewers. He waited for a thunderstorm. He broke into the sewer pipe and he crawled through the sewer pipe and escaped. And not only that, the coup de grace is he then had documents forged through in the library, like shop or whatever. To make it look like he was Randall Stevens, their fake tax shelter guy, and he withdrew all the money and left town and called in an anonymous tip. So the warden is utterly ruined in every possible dimension. Right, like yes. checkmate, motherfucker. In yeah. fact, he in fact he throws chess pieces at the wall, thereby tipping over a king. I will point. I, out. I wanna. <laughs> I know this is gonna be, but it's just a quick one. I know this is like metaphor, but he takes his shoes. 
He takes his very shoes. He takes the man's shoes. (laughs) That's all we need to say. Uh, And he tells, he goes where he told Red he was going to go, which is some obscure town in Mexico where a man can breathe free. And uh, the warden briefly considers shooting the cops in the head. Right. But he shoots himself in the head. Good call. Um, mm-hmm. And we write in our notepad, he did it. He killed himself. Hooray. Um, Hooray. They, we, drag, they drag Hadley away, sobbing like a little girl, goes the legend. And then Andy mm-hmm. Dufresne sends Red a blank postcard from a point right on the Mexican border, implying he, he did flee to Mexico and achieve his dream. Red gets out. He's staying at the same halfway house as Brooksy. He's considering hanging himself for real. He says yeah, he's in all the same spaces. Yeah. He's doing the same job. And he's just like, I get what Brooks was saying. But I promised I would. He's like, well, you got to find out what the treasure is. Right. Obviously. Yeah. So yeah. he goes, I'll go look at that treasure. Then I'll kill myself real quick. The fuck treasure. He checks out the fuck treasure. Still moist with the loins of Tim Robbins's murdered wife. And. It's what money? What is it? I forget. It's an envelope of money, and it's a letter saying, "Come to Mexico." Oh, it's just a letter saying, "Yeah." No, he's got. It's also got like a stack of fifty. Well, I know, but I thought it was like a cryptic artifact that implied come to Mexico. (laughs) But it's it's a literal letter letter that says, "Like, yo, Red, come to Mexico, bro. We'll drink beers." uh, You know, basically some more traveling, some more music, and then last shot, Andy and Red on a beach with Andy's boat. Everything that was promised to Andy, he got it all. And they he gave it to his friend too. They're going to just, I miss my friend. You know, they're just going to have a good time. And then the eclipse comes and he goes, <laughs> oh, oh no. Red. <laughs> Sit on shall my we, lap, Red. But talking about liminal spaces, uh-huh. shall we move on to our skeleton crew? Something in the mist. Shut the doors. Shut the doors. This is where we talk about the creative team and any interesting behind the scenes trivia yeah. that we found. I don't have a terrible amount. I mean, there's some cool stuff. I'm always in, just so interested in Frank Darabont because yeah. directed by and screenplay by. And it's, I, it's very Spielbergian. And then in it, I want to talk about this time. What really screamed to me is it's very Malicky. And yeah, these yeah, are he's... really lauded directors, and this is a really well-directed film. Um, in a transparent way, it's not audacious or auteur-like. It lacks the raw vision of something like The Shining from a filmmaking standpoint. But there's nothing wrong beginning. with the filmmaking. It's super like good and thoughtful and beautiful because you got Roger Deakins on it. And then you look at the rest of Darabont stuff, and I like it. I like The Mist a lot. Um, but I truly Shawshank has to be the pinnacle of his career. Right. Yeah. And I, I always mean, forget because Shawshank has so much heart and humanity. And then his other biggies are very cruel. His other movies are like especially right. cruel. horror. I mean, especially the mist, yeah. which is, you know, because it's a, another King property and the fact that he changed the ending in that and made it more, you know, s- terrible and, uh, just horrifying for our our protagonist. Uh, He is fast and loose and King loves it. He's like, yeah, dude, Darabont improves the work, but you're right. This one is about magic and happiness. He wrote the walking dead. Uh, He Mm -hmm. wrote, created the walking dead. I'm sorry. I said the walking dead, but he also wrote the green mile. Um, And the majestic, the majestic goes for tones that are very similar to Shawshank. So yeah, he can do both. he, He, he wants to mix it up, but this one is definitely, 
for me, the like, oh, you did a little perfect thing and it happened. And I think good. there's a lightning in a bottle aspect because I think so. I I mean, we stump for Deacon's heart in this house. So obviously it's going to look good and feel good. And the conversations they had, like the shots are meaningful. Uh Um, but there's something special. I think it's also special from King. Like, I don't know to me. I mean, aside from the fact that it has that straight story effect, or if you don't know what I mean, David Lynch did one called a straight story. That is not David Lynchy. He's like proving I can make a normal transparent movie. And I feel like this is a normal transparent drama written you know, based on a normal transparent drama from King, which is not, so is the green mile. So is Dolores Claiborne. So it's certainly not outside his wheelhouse, but I will say that Shawshank redemption of everything King wrote seems to have the vibe of, okay, I'm not fucking around. I want to now like tell some truth or I'm trying to really like be wise now, Um, which he doesn't reach for often. It's only happened a handful. It's even it is just like epic or this, but the stand is meaningful. Right. And there's one or two times he's tried to do meaningful. And I think Shawshank is full of humanity and wisdom and meaning. And that's why people are obsessed with it. I have a theory on that, but I'll save that for our next segment, just because I think that it's important that we kind of say like, here's what King typically does with this type of story. And here's what Frank Darabont does. yeah, I want to mention Darabont because you mentioned the word or the phrase lightning in a bottle. And I really think that's right because Darabont at this point in his career, he bought the rights to this for 5K. He was Whoa. inexperienced. Yeah. And he clashed with the crew and cast throughout the production. Like it's well known in documented in interviews with like Roger Deakins and Morgan Freeman that like, and apparently the Roger Deakins who is kind of well-known at this time, kind of got some things under his belt, kind of trusted. So between the two of them, you really do have that older DP, younger director kind of thing that happens uh, every so often, uh, where the DP is more involved in the actual like shot generation. And so Roger Deakins would say stuff like, his shots were more about showing sweeping wides of the exteriors of the prison like that's what he wanted to do with it. And Deacons was like, I think it's better to show them sparingly so they have impact and more effect when they did pop up and it would make the movie feel more claustrophobic and confining. Um, so he also, Darabont would do too many takes in the eyes of the actors. Uh-huh. One story is that he spent nine hours on a dialogue scene where Morgan Freeman was just throwing a baseball around. Yeah. So like the next day, Darabont insisted on, all right, we're going to keep shooting that scene. We're not done. But Freeman was like, uh, yeah, we are. We are done. <laughs> we're done. And he also like arrived on set with the sling. Uh, but Freeman isn't one to, to talk out of school too much. So he didn't like speak anything past that. I didn't find that. But it mm. is kind of well documented that that happens. Um, but yeah, Deacons obviously is a big player in this one. I mean, that breakout sequence at the storm alone is etched in my memory. It's one of the most memorable photographic sequences in all of cinema. I would say personally. Yeah. And then the other thing I feel has to be mentioned and I'm just making sure that I say the right name. Yeah, it is Thomas Newman. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Um, Is that I think you can't overstate the lightning in the bottle effect also of, of the, you may not be able to whistle it like the Jurassic park theme, but when you hear it, you will go, Oh, that's right. 
Shawshank Redemption is also like an excellent symphony. Like the it's an album of classical music that is very good. The score yeah. of Shawshank is one of the great scores of the 90s for sure. Yeah, and Thomas Newman if you don't know him, is like Road to Perdition. One of the heaviest hitters there know, is, yeah. Finding Nemo, Wally, Mile, American Beauty, Skyfall. Uh and he also worked with Altman who we mentioned in the player in 1972. So that was the th- yeah. that was and this is young Newman really, by the way. Young like this big is Newman. This is not like I guess he He's done stuff, but this is like when he's actually starting to get, oh, like he's actually getting work now. So and now you happen to hook up with just, it's like a, a bunch of studio musicians who turn out to be, oh, it's the guys from Steely Dan are playing guitar for backup right now. Right. <laughs> it's like right. everyone is just a heavy hitter, it turns out. Even in retrospect, many of them. You didn't know, but you had fucking Morgan Freeman. You had Roger Deakins. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, that's Skeleton Crew. As you might expect, it's a very, very good movie. So it turns out many of the people who made it are very, very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Let's move into- Well cast. Well done. Just talking about our big thoughts that we said we were going to talk about. And that's in a section called It. Boo, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. Yeah. Let's start with the thing that I was just saying. Yeah, do it. Just because I don't want to lose it in my brain. So what we were discussing is the um, like what makes a King story uh, and what makes a Darabont story in terms of like, why is this one hit so hard? Why is this? Because I think there's some key element in this movie that Darabont does a lot in his work, which is that I think that my posit is that Darabont is just better at nonlinearity. Uh, and by that, I mean, like when King does flashbacks, he, like Gerald's game, for example, or, so, or you know, like he, there's a... Then we have a section where I look back to my childhood and I realize these things. Um, in terms of like the edit, Darabont is so good at weaving things. So it's like he gets to play that Ocean's Eleven game with the prison breakout. He gets to do, he's throwing out different tactics at you. And I think that that's what makes, because linear, nonlinearity is a part of King's work. But I think that it's never really been done so well look at like 1408 or something like that that's goes he hard. like it goes hard but like king prescribes that realization that kind of digging into the past and pulling something back and then that pushes me forward and now i can finish the story like that stuff that he's doing he gives it a sequence it happens usually late in the second act before the climax and that's where it goes you know that's where we have the realization and Dolores, Dolores uh, claiborne's you know like this is what happened with my daughter. All that stuff. That's just how King writes it. This movie, I think, is su- super effective. And we remember it and we make it, we, we just feel like it's a constant montage because Darabont is so good at weaving this sequence of, oh, it's flashback. Oh, it's narration. So we kind of know stuff. It's all shuffled up often. It's all shuffled up a lot better and it's hard to itemize. Very adroitly. Yeah, very adeptly. Um, while being very transparent, you don't notice. It's almost like a low-key Pulp Fiction where you're like, time's actually super disjointed. And sometimes it's narrative because they're telling a story. Sometimes it's narrative because time's just disjointed. Sometimes it's narrative because it's literally VO from Red. Right. Um, and it's all handled in a way where you don't think about it. It doesn't feel loud like Pulp Fiction. It doesn't draw attention to those. It just That's smooths them true. over. Um, yeah. And I got, I just have to say... <laughs> A note I wrote, 
that I loved. Uh, it, this movie is essentially about a man we put in prison who's so innocent the warden kills themselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's, He's so innocent, innocent so hard. Um um, but yeah, those, so that's also what I came away with and another way of saying it or what it unlocked for me were they were these perfect little Maleks. And if people didn't, weren't here for our thin red line episode or aren't familiar with tree of life or other Malik stuff, his signature is a little postcard that is some beautiful imagery that is super emotionally evocative and may be meaningful. And I think that's one way where this is a little more refined. Um, but it may just be imagery like, like vibe imagery um mm-hmm. with narration that's highly poetic but like calm like a morgan freeman thing i mean it feels like like all i have to do is describe a shawshank sequence but those are very much malik sequences and i'm not saying which came first the chicken or the egg or trying to draw that line as much I mean, as it's before them right as much as i think it's fascinating that Malik doesn't scan for a lot of people, including me. I find Thin Red Line a little boring or diffuse or like it's meditative to a point where it's like, all right, let's get the show on the road. Um, And a lot of people have that issue with Malik. But all you have to do is do a 50-50 blend of that and traditional story beats where there's a plot turn and you actually care and then do a nice Malik about what it is to be institutionalized. Then give us a plot beat. But then get back and do a Malik about the nature of hope. And you, so like all you need is a little, a little structure. And I actually feel like I have yeah, a great appetite right. for these. It almost makes me want to collect like great Maliks from other movies. And I wish there were more movies structured like this because it basically is a 50-50. Like you said, it will be a scene that matters. It's almost structured like a musical. But instead of songs, the parts that are songs are beautiful montages with voiceover like meditating on a topic you know those are the songs of the musical so to speak but in between the joints are like a well-told three-act screenplay that you'd expect right and and this that actual screenplay happens to be a really tight thing that gives you the thrill of i would say like a great sports movie because it's one big twist which is phenomenal it's very oceans 11 is i thought this was really sad Oh, wait, from square one, our dude has had this in the bag. He's so cool. (laughs) It's like you didn't need to worry. And that feels like a, you know, it feels like a great great sports movie where they win at the last second. You didn't see it coming. Yeah. What a good maneuver to take. Like we talked about this recently at a Monday night movie night, Um, like an unflappable character like Andy. to disguise for more than half of your movie that what he's been doing the whole time. Like you're following him, you're following someone else's version of him. But the one time that he kind of is alone, we obviously yada yada through that because it's just like, yeah, he was sleeping. Right. Right. And it's just like that. It's so brilliant that red is the, right. the twist requires that Andy is not the it's main character. Being second, yeah. It's, it's being told by a second party. Yeah, and it's such a good maneuver because then it's like, oh, you embedded within like the story itself, like the framework, the, you know, like uh, a structural trick later. Um, And that is, that's the kind of stuff that Darabont is, I think, better at than a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people very good at it. You've mentioned their names, 
But it's just like, what a good maneuver. And it really pays off. And you didn't even know you were looking for it by the time that you're already swept away by just the tone and, you know, the story itself. No, Um, because he doesn't do shots like, okay, we're on a record player. So the camera is the tip of the needle. Like his shots are Spielbergian. I keep saying he's pretty straightforward drama with good painterly light is what he likes to achieve. Uh, Or what Deacons is like giving him the comfort of achieving. Yeah, I don't know. We can't get inside the collaboration. We'll no, never know. We won't know. But you look at the work speaks for itself. And you look at like Deacon's collaboration with the Cohen brothers. It looks like Cohen. And you look quality. And, yeah. Lighting. And you look at Darabont's, you know, things that he wants to do. They're like minded. They probably had the same. Like, I think that the power, the lightning in the bottle, so to speak, with Darabont is that he probably is one of those ideas as king guys. He has zero ego about it. He's like, this is how we do it. And I'm inexperienced in terms of this one, you know, Shawshank Redemption. But all the stories about clashes, every single one of them, when you look them up on the Internet or, you know, you hear an interview, it always ends with the same basic sentence, which is. And then Frank was like, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. And yeah. And so that's the power of collaboration. You were talking about the dynamics being so much more powerful powerful if you're you're you know obviously i side with roger on this um prison is claustrophobic <laughs> Our good friend roger come on yeah. dummy no you lock it down once you're in prison you lock it down you want to feel what the men mm-hmm. feel in the prison of course um in fact famously the the really big money shot when he gets out of the shit pipe and takes his shirt off and it's raining on him it's the poster they made it the poster the shot was they so made it good. the poster um <laughs> And that's all you need to say. It's a reverse of the shot that you experience when you enter the prison. And we've talked about yeah. this before on the show. I know. Uh, I think on Coen Brothers Brothers, we mentioned this, but it's like your freedom is diminished as you come into the prison. It's a crane shot down into the prison. And then when he escapes, it's the exact opposite move up and out. But yeah, I didn't notice that that move is echoed elsewhere. And I was looking for it this time and it's only echoed when it means something. And that makes it awesome. (laughs) Like that's what, so for example, the two times that I caught were, uh, when they're drinking beers on the roof, they do a wide, like a wide crane down shot. And when the music is sweeping out of the windows, they go wide and out. And it's, Mm -hmm. those are the two moments where he made the entire community feel briefly free. That shot yeah. means you're free right now. Your soul is free while we're on this yeah. shot. It's the utility of something that Al- Alexander McKendrick was a filmmaker, Sweet's uh, uh, Smell of Success. And he wrote a book and he talks about, he calls it the cherub. And it's his name for a camera that just, you know, you have your typical basic coverage where you're looking at a face and then it cuts and it looks at a face and we're looking at the faces because they're talking and they're where all the important parts are. And then randomly in your movies, the camera will be go like, I'm going to look somewhere else and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to, this is important. And look then it, it better here. mean something, right? Cause why yeah. are we looking at this now? Right. You and know, so, and he's just is. running, he's just flying around like a fat little baby with an arrow telling just you what's ra- important, randomly tagging stuff, pointing at stuff. And it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's so true that like, if you take those moments and make them meaningful or make them a coda or, you know, a, like there's this Rondo form that you were talking about where it's like, when we talk, it's there, it's A, B, A prime kind of stuff. Um, when you look at it, if you make sure that the A's are always that thing, they're always the same motion or movement, or they have some similarity or sympathetic movement, 
the audience is subconsciously at least right. going to be like, oh yeah, now it's like if to go out is freedom, to be compressed is uh, hell, you know? And then, and right. And for example, when Brooksy is out, we don't do any crane shots because even though he was freed, he's not free, right? Um, right. You then, the more consistent you are with your system, the more control you have God. over the audience's mind. Can I and it becomes meta because the message of the film essentially is consistency. It is the power of consistency and the power of just doing one thing every day and keeping your eye on the prize and focused on the topic. It's slow and steady wins the race. Like it's not. Yeah. Having a drive the, and a plan. It's one of the oldest fables there is. It's the grasshopper and the octopus or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and I love that about it. It's, no, it's the it's bison a, in the, uh, in the hawk. Well, I say that cause, and I'm going to start doing this now when it makes organic sense. I bring this up in my book. That's right. If you didn't know, I have a novel coming out on November 26th. Oh, yeah. Look for it at patreon.com slash small beans. Um, Plug it. But much like in my novel, uh, I think something we do with important fiction, like what wisdom is, is there are things that are true that people already know and have discovered that are profound. And we discover them again and again and again, and different cultures say them in different ways. Like one of the core ones is that if you can quiet your mind and be present, you sort of experience more out of the moment, right? Or like, there's no time like the present, but we also say stop and smell the roses. It means the same thing. And my point is, but we also have like Eckhart Tolle, but we also have Zen Buddhism and they're driving in many ways at the same thing. Um, And I think this is driving it a classic one which is slow and steady wins the race and like, just be quiet and keep your mind on your business and you'll find success. Um, that's pretty true. Uh, luck also can fuck you, which this also takes into account, but I'm just saying that's what makes it feel wise is this movie is like Morgan Freeman whispering in your ear stuff that you already know, but that it's important to be reminded of like even in difficulty in difficult times, you have to keep your dignity, keep your head down and look for your opportunity. You know, there's certain things where you have, you fight as hard as you can because that's too far. And there's things where you need to compromise. Um, it just has a lot of that, like classic, good old timey cowboy wisdom in it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's like the, the main tactic in the movie. And it's what makes us is a little postcard. That's true. It's so true. Yeah. But I think that the movie is more about like, I really think that uh, like it's not just the messianic stuff like that is I think that's obvious to all of us you know God is freedom the prison is hell Andy's the messiah you know um, at least for red um, but like when we're really talking about redemption redemption <laughs> redemption uh, when we're really talking about redemption like from red's point of view who is our main character really when you think about it he you know like he's the guy who yeah. who goes through all the stuff. He's not the action uh, character, but he's yeah, the main he does, character. He's the one who changes. Um, a like what what's the end what's the ending of redemption? It's what he says in like kind of the yard where he says like I'm looking for a warm place with no memory. And that is good line. Such a, good a new line. life. It's fixing up a boat with his pal. Uh it's, you know, it's a shared dream that they all have. Um, but it's like this idea of like, I have been a terrible person. I now moved on. Well, yeah. And the scene we kind of glossed over, which is the speech he gives, of course, that everyone knows when he finally does get paroled is he says, I don't give a shit, um, to the guy who hassles Michael J. Fox and the Frighteners, I think. 
Um, but instead, but despite the fact that he says, I don't give a shit if you parole me, which is just kind of ironic icing on the cake. He said something that rang very true, obviously, which is why they parole him that time, which is that, yeah, I'm sorry I did it. It ruined my whole life. Like, of course, like it's clear in the way he says it, that he gets it. He's like, of course, I'm I'm an old man now. That's what he says. He says, like, I wish I could tell that kid anything to avoid. Like, I'm done. I'm just an old man now. And they're like, oh, then you're safe to release to society. That's what we were and looking also, for. I don't give we a were shit. looking for that you were broken inside. Now you're safe. Yeah, now you're good. You you are no longer broken inside. And he's, he's like, I don't really give a shit about what <laughs> yeah. you, you think. Because that's the other thing is that it's about systems. I want to, whoever decided that the place where Brooks and Red go, after they're let out, yeah. that apartment yeah. where it says Brooks was here and it says like and Red too. Um, whoever designed that and said that the thing that Brooks hangs himself is this barred wooden beam. The whole room has no bars, but it's a, like the that little piece has bars. It's actually and it's above us. It's our salvation. It's the one prison-like aspect of the room, and he hangs himself from it because he's so tied to it. Yeah. And to me, that is, whoever did that, I want to shake their hand because that is so fucking cool. Because before he hangs himself, we see it twice. First, when he kind of moves in and it's above him and uh, he looks up at it or he looks up in that direction in that wide. And then the second time we see it, it's in the mirror as he prepares himself, fixes his tie. He's about to hang himself. And he and it's in the mirror, and once again it's above him. He looks at it, and then we never see it again. We just see, you know, a rope, feet, a sound. You know, we're, we're out. Uh, but well, I just no. love. And it. then we cut to a cowboy shot where you see his oh, back yeah, and his head end. bowed. But yeah. I mean, the lead up to it. I guess it's just the lead like up, yeah. It's just signposting inevitability. It's saying this is always looming. The prison, remember the prison, right? And that's not salvation. That's why Brooks' story is tragic. And that's why Red's story is salvation. You know, he right. got out of the, he got a, far away from the prison as possible, where it's just open skies and an ocean. You know, it's literally the least confining space on the earth. I do feel like there's stories that more complexly dive into, because like you said, it doesn't really dwell on what they did. Because Red did kill someone in some kind of fight of passion or like crime of passion, just in a fight or something but we never get the story. And I think that's intentional and fine and a fine choice and it works perfectly well. But I would say if you're trying to get the full cycle of redemption, um, it is a little soft on the exploring like the actual trauma or damage. Um, It's more about his hope is because he's innocent is part of it. Like that's why he comes off Jesus-y because he really didn't do it, right? Uh, And I think if you're going to like laugh at this movie or roll your eyes in this movie, that is the only aspect is sometimes he seems like prison Jesus. Um, Yeah, he's breaking bread with motherfuckers. And that's the only way where I think it's kind of dated. Like in the like the uh, I would say the fact that the main antagonist for the first two acts is what's his name? Boggs. Um, And that he's sort of like gay coded as like a Jafar type, like very um, luscious like uh, wants to own your ass. And the fact that they sort of gloss over it by basically saying, well, we're not saying gay guys are like this. Um, Cause red says, well, they're not homosexual. You have to be human to be homosexual. And it just reminded me of bone tomahawk, 
where you hear that the enemies are mutant yeah. Native Americans and you're like, that sounds racist. And then in the movie, they basically go, that's not racist. These Native Americans are so mutated that they're not even human. They're like troglodytes. And you're like, no, yeah. that is racist. <laughs> um, it's the presentation that we're, I, we have notes on. I think there's some undiagnosed latent homophobia in just the way that society had it in the 90s and still does um, mm-hmm. in here in that aspect. But basically, that was me looking for gripes because I gave Green Mile such a hard time. That's all I could find is I'm like, all right, you know, the rapist is uh, a gay prison stereotype sort of thing. And I do think this is not a movie or even a story that's trying to as much tell you this is exactly really what it's like in prison with all the complexity of the modern prison situation. Mm -hmm. It's not. Would you agree that that's not the point of this story it's not like no, a prison expose right yeah no it's it's it lobs it when it wants to and you know a lot of people are going to watch a movie and be like it should have done more and it's be like you know yeah make a movie you make a movie if that it was that truly thing. if its sites were only set on prison as a societal problem it would have been a right. different movie that would be a cool movie and <laughs> sure. there are that movies do exist yes. uh, movies like the prophet assault you on know, precinct like, 13 yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> movies exactly like that, but like that it's true that this is not one of those. And so I the think wild. it's fair to lob that criticism and at the same time be like, yeah, no, Darabont's But this movie's not trying to do that. He's yeah. just doing the Messiah thing, which in the 90s was like a big deal. I'm basically you know? just saying it's not a prison movie. It's a drama set in a prison. And that's what makes it a great Malick subject for Malick's or like those postcards, because a prison is a place where you sit still and think about stuff, just like being in Vietnam. You're often holed up sitting there thinking about crazy situations. Um, it's fascinating to me. I would love to see more movies that start from the premise of, I almost want to design a movie based around what would make for good little Malik-like nuggets. Um, like what is a situation where people sit around and think like maybe jury duty, but as it relates to these little postcards about justice and fairness. Uh, I like this format of film, Abe. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's, a good design of car, so to speak. It's a good design of car. <laughs> I have, I have, I do. I would say that one thing about this car uh-huh. is that it feels like you're being fed pre-chewed food. I don't mind oh, it. It's slick propaganda, dude. Yeah, but we're we're like we're told by the filmmaking and the narration who's how good to think and who's about bad. Things. Totally, yeah, completely, yeah. Um, but like that's these are the only criticisms in a house. That's that when we say it's not house. auteur-y. It's the sure hand of society. It's like a very transparent, clear, firm. This is good and this is bad. And you're like, it's okay, October sky, baby. If you're not going to question that, yeah, that's fine. It's a very upstanding, God fearing drama. Right. And it, uh, uh, which made me think some... it would be so funny because Red is like, I deserve to be in here. And I don't know if I got out, I'd feel so guilty. And Tim Robbins is like, I don't though. So I could, I'm happy to go to Ziwatanejo. I deserve it. I, I earned it. Like he has his little speech about how he won't feel guilty if he gets out of here. And I just thought it would be so funny if he ended up like getting caught at the bank and he had to like murder five people on his way out of the country, but he's still like, it's okay. I earned this. I was innocent. You know, they shouldn't have put me in there. Uh, yeah, I mean the whole the whole whole thing he come, is held up on the idea that he it's never like, does they anything went wrong. Hell. But he's well, perfect is part of the key premise. It doesn't matter because you you t- it's not about Andy; it's about any prisoner. 
the fact that the prison is such a hellish experience, no man, no person should have to go through it, that they are redeemed by the hell. By going that through they, it. They waded through shit, and we go, that's the worst thing that could ever guess. happen to me. Yeah. That's that's why I think well, what it's I trying mean, to it's say. Clearly the it's metaphor the is you wade through shit and you come out clean. So of course and that you is you come the out clean system. because you did not sin. But you so did I guess nothing wrong. Is my argument is it arguing that the prison system works, that it purges you and you come out clean? Because No, because it uses unjustified means to get that end. It's like torture to make someone submissive. Yeah, right. it worked. Yeah. Uh but that's, that's what, what I'm saying is it's still obviously critical. It's about redemption and the guy goes from being in prison to being redeemed. And yet it's not about the redemptive power of prison. Yeah. That's the interesting yeah. part is that it's done by the community and by others. It's the, and it also is doing some heavy other. lifting with like everyone who is a criminal in this group. They're all like fairly good people, right? Yeah. Like they feel like they're good people. They're polite. They, you know, they, they're not violent anymore. Like everyone already is like pre-redeemed except for redeemed. Like, you know, like Tommy. But Tommy gets poor Tommy. Tommy poor, gets got. Well, he shouldn't have tied his aesthetic to something that was going to become <laughs> rote so quickly, right? We don't yeah, need rockabillies anymore, Tommy. Get out of here. We don't need that trope. Scram, scram, Tommy. Scram, Get Tommy. Shot. Um, Get shot. I also think it's funny how one of the Maliks, where he goes. I'm just picturing him now, Andy Dufresne, headed for the Pacific. And it is this sweeping lateral shot around a curve of road on the ocean. And a like uh, open top sports car comes into view and goes around the curve, like hugging the curve. Mm -hmm. It is exactly like if you put that shot in a car commercial, it would scan as a car commercial. Yeah. Um, I just love the I power do. of context. It, I was crying at that moment. Looking at not just a shot, but I mean the shot and the music and the quality of the voiceover, that exact moment would be in a car commercial. Um, but with the right context, with the right meaning behind it, it was devastatingly emotional. So I don't know. I just like that about the power of storytelling. Uh, the only other note I had was that it has the theme also, of course, that hope is the most important in the darkest place. Um, yeah, I think that's it the doesn't main agree thing. with red red says hope gets you burned. It's not worth if you're in a shitty situation, it's not worth keeping up hope because you just keep your hopes up. And Andy's like, no, no, no. That's when you hope the hardest. And the movie agrees with Andy. Yeah, that's the engine that causes his workman like, you know, carpenter like keeps you going. Process you towards to the movie. Going. And it yeah. reminded me of the scene in House that Jack built which is the only yeah. other movie I can think of that does right. these Maliks. It was the first one that came to what? mind anyway. It was the first one that came to mind anyway. Okay. That movie will stop down to have a narrate, you know, uh, what's his name? The killer narrating uh, over music. That's usually classical music with postcards that mean something. And it reminded me of the one where he talks about a, con a tree that grows where a concentration camp once was. And how he sat there and like had a nice picnic under the tree. And then someone said, don't you know, that's where the concentration camp was. And it's like, no, I didn't know that. So I thought it was just a beautiful place. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, as a metaphor for good shit coming out of horrible shit, which, of course, Lars von Trier wants to believe in, because otherwise he's irredeemable. <laughs> um, but uh, why can you what are other Maliks that come to mind for you? I realized Ocean's Eleven is a kind of Malik. Kind of. The entirety of Goodfellas. Goodfellas is one long montage. That's true. It's the same yeah. as this movie. 
Um, it's absolutely the same kind of operate order of operations is what I mean to say. But I mean, you know, Magnolia starts with yeah. one. Uh, like yeah. they're all and over ends. the place. But Every like I know what you mean. The point you keep. One. You keep saying like the the Malik, but like I, I I get what you're saying. Like it's like the transparent, a like, succinct not montage. Sorry, it's the postcardy. Yeah, it's the let me take not just like narrate narration over an image is one way to do it, but let me just take you through a series of images that when you compile them, you're like that is that is what they want to say about the thing, and it's not being told to me, but rather being shown to me. Um, I think that that's the true power. Like, that's what this movie does. This movie also tells you what to think as well, but not in a bad way, in a way that is very delightful. And uh, it is delightful. It's just movies. not trying to be vague at all or give open room for interpretation. It's very straightforward and telling you what to think. <laughs> yeah. And now we'll tell you what to think if you're done, Abe. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll tell you what to think in what a segment that is going to have more tension than it has in a long, long time where we decide where this lands in the pantheon of King movies. This is called the stand. Okay. So how do we, how do we proceed? I mean, I would be comfortable just having a conversation about number one, number one and two. Yeah, Yeah. Because basically so my current number one is The Shining and my current number two is Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. Uh, so I'm an all Shining guy. I really like The Shining And I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, sh- but, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm The Shining at, at number one as well. My, well, my what's your two? two is currently Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. So this would bump. Yeah. So, I mean, Stand By Me, some people might say Stand By Me should be one. So... I still think between us, there's a jumble of like this would, this could go anywhere in the top three, but let's Mm -hmm. get off it. People know it's in the top three somewhere. Yeah. If you've listened to other episodes, you can hear our entire list, but we're just really talking about one or two. Yeah. Shining or Shawshank Redemption. How do we fall? All right. Um, Okay. You ready? I already, we already said, we just said a lot of criticism. I can do three, two, one. Oh, you want to just pull the bandaid off? Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Count us up. My number three is Dr. Sleep. My number three is Stand By Me. <laughs> All right. So it, now this is the only important one. Yeah. My number, number two, two is The Shining. My number two is The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, he went the other way. <laughs> Twist. Twist. I thought about it, dude, because auteur shit so is real. It. Like Kubrick. Kubrick is a vision. And I'm setting aside that he was a prick. Um, the Shining, and more importantly, I think 2001 is one of the most important films ever filmed. Um, but right. like, he was a force, and his movie, it's like watching a virtuoso play an instrument where you go, that's Frank Zappa. I hate to you, but he is a unique <laughs> guitar player. Where you're like, that's a Stanley Kubrick movie. Shawshank Redemption could be made by any number of very talented filmmakers. Is you're the right. only gripe, really, you could have with it. But, but it's just good. It's just so it's good. It's just good. Yeah, like. I, I do not deny it was hard for me as well. Like I, we toiled about it as much as you can for a list, a right. goddamn list on the internet. But I think same, uh, Shawshank is more rewatchable for me specifically. I love the sympathy and the hope and the emotional core of this movie. And that's such a part of me. But I already talked about the pre-chewed food 
comment like yeah. just about like how it's so fed to us and as a filmmaker i don't know like the filmmaker in me knows how hard it is to construct that i don't want to have the same number one i'm much but happier with this result too. i but like the construction of the shining is about dispelling magic and looking at humans as horrifying shawshank is about hope and success and about in a scene that's a, hopeless you know world. what i ultimately went with it in the same way that when I load up an RPG, I go with a good run versus an evil run. Whereas like, yeah, yeah. you know me. And if people come to movie night, they know this. I'm fascinated by darkness. I have a pretty dark mind. It's so funny. And so it? I'm fascinated by depression, darkness, mental illness. But at the end of the day, I want to think of that I'm a good boy, not a bad boy. Like right. I want to live in a world of hope and, and general census concentrism, like, you know, not truly political centrism, but you know what I mean. I want to live in the Shawshank world, not the Shining world. Right. And in the end, I think that's what guides my hand for this podcast, at least, is we're covering King. He's a horror author. I think that should be taken into account. You know, it's true. So I went it's with not, it ain't that scary. Even though, it ain't that like, scary. Shawshank is the one that, like, Darabont is King's, uh, you know, best boy. Yeah. Um, Shine, Kubrick is like the bad boy. And he also clashed with, you know, he's still to this, to this day, uh, you know, like, uh, King is like, ah, shining. I don't like how it went, you know, because, I know, I mean, he's, which makes it very bad boy to make it your number one is like, it's the one that King is like, that's right. God damn it. I know everyone loves the shining. So you, you're God saying I'm it. a bad boy. Is yeah. What you're and I'm about. a standard milk toast, vanilla Shawshank redemption boy. But, no, no, dude. I, my number two is Shawshank. And it's like a real close, I think just in the end as a filmmaker, the 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 idea of asking these questions and it's like wh like what is what's next what why are these things happening instead of here let me tell you what what these right. things are and how they're happening to me the whole is harder to do it's just harder i will just say to me the main joy of doing this podcast thus far i mean outside just the joy of doing it with you is the main like joyful discovery has been Dr. Sleep. Like I never thought Dr. Sleep would be so high on my list. I've watched it several more times since we covered it. I really, I think that movie rips. That movie does rip. And I, that's probably of my two regrets that I have of the list that we've created. I have Dr. Sleep at five now, if you're colluding what's just happened. Yeah. So that's still respect that I would probably put that higher. I, I have might misery put it higher than five. misery. Yeah, like, but the top five are like bangers. Stand by me, Doctor Sleep, Misery, Shawshank, Shining. I mean, like, I have the same I, five, just in a slightly yeah. different order. It's just like, yeah, it's like I hit this point. Who fucking cares? It's dumb. They're, but they're all so good. Uh, the other one I probably have a regret on is I probably should put Christine higher. I have that pretty low. Like, I I think it should be above Creep Show, but probably I've revised for, you know, mine. Like, I revise mine whenever I want. By the way. Oh, I don't. I've been sticking to oh, it. Oh, because I thought if you're doing that, I'm doing it that. It makes now. it more interesting because we update it so you know frequently. I'm just so scared fine. that someone's gonna listen and write it down. Oh, and, and say that was different than episode blah blah that blah. That was different. But I thought we were allowed like, oh. to reformulate every episode between it. I think you're allowed to do whatever yeah. you want because yeah. you're a grown ass man. So you can do what you want. I just didn't think I, it didn't occur to me. And also probably most interesting spread on mine. Green Mile 25, Shawshank Redemption 1, right? You'd think they'd be similar, but no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You have a big problem with Green Mile. I do. I mean, it's not a problem for me. It's I, my fun contrarian thing. It. It's uh, in my like solid group. Like, cause there's yeah. like the best of the best. And then there's like pretty excellent, solid, mediocre. And then there's just the real shit. And I don't put Green Mile in the real shit. <laughs>
I put Green Mile at the top of the real shit. Yeah. Yeah. But like our, our I would say still, and as we're at the end of this season of Kings of King. Um, Speaking of the end of this uh, shit. Speaking yeah, of crawling uh, through a tunnel filled with human shit. We're not shit. done with the show, but just to say we're going to take a break and we're going That's to That's season two, Anderson's. y'all. We did it. That's season two. That's season two. In the Most can. of our shit has been 14 intact. episodes a season. That's 28 we've hit. 28 we've hit. And uh, Anderson will now premiere, not premiere, but come back next month. For its season two. For its season two. And as we do that show chronologically, we'll be covering 2009's Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I have never seen. And I was going to watch probably two years ago. And then we started the show. Yeah. And I was like, well, I should just hold off. Yeah. So but yeah, I, I've that's had right. the interest to Anderson watch it. Season two starts with but, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, if you didn't know or couldn't tell, we do Wes and P.T. Anderson movies. And by our calculations, mm-hmm. that season will catch us up to the present day. Um, and they're both older filmmakers now at this point. So we doubt, we think this will do it. We think season two will do it. That'll be Anderson's. So stay tuned for the conclusion of Anderson's in the same slot. If you're just a king head, I'm sorry, but we will be back with a season three. So you get to miss us for a minute. Um, Someone just made us aware of like a 59 episode Indian epic version of it. We could watch that. That could be a whole spinoff series, dude. Yeah, we can. I mean, there's so much stuff that we've yet to cover because because King King never goes. Yeah, the King catalog never ends. Um, so so we will be back with the season three, I'm sure. Um, anything else to plug IE like spoil that's coming out, but when people are listening to this, we haven't done that. Yeah, Let me take a look at the old. Yeah. So we have, um, more episodes of I'll show you mine. If you show me yours coming out, uh, on the Patreon this Friday, uh, one ups is still here. One ups is back Two. we do two a month and this is going to be the second one for the month on the 20th. Uh, and that's on Norco. Ooh, and then one of my favorite games f- of the year you probably haven't heard of. Check it out. And then uh, I'll, I'll mention the last one. We'll be doing a frame rate that week, that Friday, um, where we cover with Cody Johnston, if you know Cody, the Cody Shoddy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be covering the David Byrne film, True Stories. Yeah, a.k.a. the Talking Heads movie, if you're aware yeah. of it. All that and more on Small Beans Network. That's and if right. you're on the free feed, all that stuff kind of makes sense. Some of you may see that in the future, any of those. Um, but to get it all, patreon.com slash small beans, um, where you can also find my book and soon an album and a comic book as well. So there's a lot of stuff. Ha- ha- I also, we should mention this more often. You don't have to pay us to follow us on Patreon. And now that a lot of people mm-hmm. hate Twitter. You could go to Patreon and follow us for free on there and you'll still get updates on major stuff that happens. You don't yeah. have to pay us, FYI. Yeah. You'll just be locked out of some delicious some content. delicious content is all. Yeah. But you'll still get a lot of stuff. So you'll that's know how we there, run the show. But you can't have it. Yep. Just like sound. Okay, bye. Bye.